Welcome to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed, your journey into discovering the amazing people and wonderful happenings in and around the Cothet region. Since her days as Powell River's first youth ambassador in 1994, Aaron has continuously been involved in our community. Her love of the Cothet region and her understanding of the importance of connecting to the people living around you inspired this podcast. Coastal Currents is a no-holds-barred look at what's happening in our neighborhoods. But more importantly, it's about the people who live, work, and play here. Insightful interviews, frank conversations, and often hilarious discussions of issues, ideas, and people that matter to you. This is Coastal Currents. Here's Aaron. Welcome to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Aaron Reed. On this episode, I feature Matthew Hull. Matthew spent his formative years here in Powell River before graduating and heading down to Idaho for his first year of college. He then spent two years in California working with the Hispanic population and later received degrees in Spanish and history education from Brigham Young University, Idaho. Over the past 15 years, Matt has worked in School District 47, teaching, supporting students and staff, managing both the transportation and technology departments, and he spent his last year as a vice principal at Brooks Secondary School. Most recently, Matt earned the opportunity to work as principal at Henderson Elementary. He has also had the blessing of raising five children here in Powell River and recently remarried to an amazing woman from Washington and added her five children to the family. Matthew currently lives in Wildwood and enjoys the small community feel it provides. Join me in welcoming Matthew Hall. Today in the studio, I have Mr. Matt Hall. Hi, Matt, and thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you said you were okay with starting with a quick game of this or that. Sure, yeah. Okay, so it's going to be random. I haven't pre-selected things to mess you up. All right. Okay, pandas or koalas? Pandas or koalas. Do I have to do this quick? I feel like this is one of those rapid-fire ones. It is. Pandas or koalas. I'm going to go with koalas. Okay, phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? I'd like to say no phone because it's weird, but I definitely have my phone in the bathroom. I think everybody does. We just don't want to admit admit it. it. Yeah. (laughs) That's why you don't touch other people's phones. Right? Uh, yeah. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Boxers or briefs? Oh, boxer briefs. Oh. Yeah. I'll split that one. Shopping online or shopping in store? Ooh, that's another community one. I really should stop. I, I like shopping in store, but I end up shopping online just for convenience. Right. And sometimes you have to. Mm-hmm. Second chance at love or second chance for your career? <laughs> Second chance at love. Nice. Success or happiness? Happiness. Couch potato or fitness fiend? Couch potato. Start work late or leave work early? Leave work early is what I'd prefer. Cooking or being cooked for? I enjoy cooking with with others. Not by myself. I don't do much cooking when it's just me. Yeah, it's kind of a pain when it's me. No, it's it's a companion chore. Crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? Smooth. Robots or dinosaurs? Uh, Would it be fair to say robotic dinosaurs? I think those would be kind of cool, but I'll, I'll let me pick to one. I'll go with I'll go with dinosaurs. I like robotic dinosaurs. <laughs> I feel like it's an option. Yeah, it I like should that. be. Showers or baths? Showers. Okay, let's go one more. All right. Ice cream or cake? See, and and there's a perfect blend. Ice cream cake is my favorite. Always has been. I'm a big fan of ice cream cake. My stomach's not, but I I love ice cream cake. <laughs> Sounds like my kids. They love it too. <laughs> And that concludes this or that. There we go. There we go. So let's talk a little bit about Matt Hall. Sure. So where were you born? I was born in Victoria, British Columbia a okay. long time ago. We were there for a couple of years and then my family moved out to southern Alberta, small town of Kirtston. We spent about eight years. So I was the third. 
third child to, to Pat and Janet Hull. So we were in Cartston until 89, during which time my younger brother and sister were also born. Yeah, a really exciting time. Cartston's a very small town. Uh, so it was neat to kind of spend that time in southern Alberta. And uh, 89, we moved back and we were in Victoria for three, four years and then came to Powell River when my dad got a job at uh, Bergen Johnson's Sun Lumber Supply. <laughs> so, okay. uh, so he got the job as a store manager and we moved up in 94. We've been here ever since. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So do you have, you have a pretty large family then? We do. Yeah. So uh, like I said, I was the third. I have two sisters who are older. They're twins. And then my younger sister and brother as well. So five of us. Five of you. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. And then it expands out. Five just became a magic number. My I have five children myself, biological children. And then I have my older sisters. One has six. The other has four. And then my younger sister has five. My wife has five of her own. And so we have a combined total of 10. Busy. Very busy. So my parents have lots and lots of grandkids. That that is a yeah. huge, it is huge family. Yeah, we don't get together that often, but when we do, <laughs> you need a farm. <laughs> we need a farm. <laughs> that feels like a meme. Like we don't get together often, but when we do, <laughs> you need t-shirts. You need t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, do. with everybody on them. Yeah, so exactly. Have to be big t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. It. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. So yeah. Victoria. Yep, Victoria. Victoria and then Bergen. Alberta. And then Alberta, okay. then back up here. And uh, we moved a lot. Moving is, it's funny, up until we moved to Powell River, when I moved here back in 2000, end of 2006, we moved a lot. Like even my parents, like we moved every year, every couple years. Last, I mean, when we moved here in 90, 94, we were in the same house in Wildwood till I graduated high school in 99. But uh, before that, it was just like constantly moving all over the place, which is good. Enjoy. Was that tough then? Because what age were you when you moved here? You would have been a teen, right? Yeah, I was 12 turning 13 at the end of the year. It was grade seven. And so I came up and I moved into JC Hill. So I was in grade seven. At J well, came up in May. So I was actually Ocean View for a couple months. And then for grade eight, I was at JC Hill, the academy now. And then grade nine was supposed to be at Brooks, but it burnt down. And oh. so <laughs> that was the year I went to Max Cameron okay. for my grade nine year and then jumped over to Brooks. And uh, it was good. Uh, Palmer was a good place to grow up. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Offered me lots of opportunities, which is great. So then after graduation? I uh, I swore I'd never come back. I jumped on, actually, right after my provincial exam. I think it was my English 12 provincial exam. I jumped on the back of my dad's motorbike and we went down to a farm. Uh, I worked on a farm in Idaho moving irrigation pipe. Yeah, I, I tend to think, like, I've done most kind of jobs, right? So I that, that summer I worked on a farm. Uh, moving irrigation pipe. I built some some it's babysitting for the farmers that I stayed with. They were family friends. And then I did a year of college down there at Rick's College. They had these awesome shirts. They're like, who's Rick's? Or who's Rick? Anyway, it was kind of a, a joke. <laughs> this guy that settled the Rexburg area. I studied vocal performance was what I was doing down at uh, Rick's College. My dream was to come home and be the new Don James. Uh -huh. I really wanted to teach music. I, I love... I love music. So yeah, that was my early career. That lasted a year and I realized that I loved music but not enough to practice like three hours a day mm. and went through this barrage of other options. But yeah, so I did a year there. I came home and I prawned with uh, Russ Bond. Oh really? I did. Yeah, that was a good summer. I didn't uh, know Back that. when seasons were 90 days. It was good. It was a good job. He's a good man. So yeah, I did I did prawning that summer. Another summer I actually I packed prawns down at the plant. I did that for a summer. After that, I, I went and spent two years in California. I was a missionary for our church. That's where I learned Spanish. So I spent two years there and then came back and then started my degree in Spanish ed. 
When I was in California, I was certain because I was going to be a music teacher. And then after the end of the year, I was like, yeah, I don't really want to teach music. But my sister was going to be an elementary teacher. So I thought maybe grade two. And then when I was in California, I was like, oh, I'll be a nurse. And then I got back and I went to Camosun to do some upgrades. And I realized that the sciences are not my friend. Like mm -hmm. I just, uh, and part of that, I do believe like it being in education, I believe that that was a bit of a mental block. In about grade nine, 10, I, I felt that I couldn't do math. So I couldn't do math because I decided I couldn't. Right. So in college, I realized that the sciences, if I if I wasn't a math person, the sciences were where I should go. And it was at that time that I'd met Ashley, my first wife. I had no idea because I was at Commotion. She was at UVic. And she's like, what do you want to do? I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> I'm like, I was going to be all of these things and now I don't know. And she's like, well, you speak Spanish. And I'm like, I do. She's like, and you like teaching? I do. So why don't you get a Spanish degree? Oh, that's a good idea. Really? So that's what we did. We went down to BYU-Idaho, which was Rick's college, then became BYU-Idaho. Okay. And I got a degree in both uh, Spanish education and history education. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of all over the place. But uh, the heck did you get into tech? Then? Yeah. Isn't that funny? So th And that's kind of the story, right? So so I'm down there. And we, we do the Spanish education. We actually end up in Las Vegas for our student teaching. So this is 2006. The Clark County School District was booming. They were adding like. I remember correctly, it was like 700 teachers every year, like this massive school district. So we went down there, lots of jobs teaching Spanish. And so both Ashley and I were looking at buying a house down there. And because she was doing, a, she did a degree in English education. She was an English teacher. We were working, and but the, the visas just weren't working out. Like it mm -hmm. was just not good. My sister was up here. She was teaching at Brooks at the time. And so she's like, come back here. There's lots of jobs, which wasn't true. But she told me that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. And so I came, we came back December of 2006. And I subbed for the first six months for the rest of the school year. I subbed. And that's when we had our first child. So Ethan was born in March of 2007. I was a successful candidate for a teacher who had gone on leave for the following year at Ocean View. He taught Spanish. I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. There's a Spanish job. Yeah. And uh, so I taught Spanish at Ocean View, grade nine Spanish and Infotech. So grades eight and nine Infotech. And I taught health and career, which is a funny one. I actually wasn't in the posting. They posted for Spanish and Infotech, which I got, it was a 0.75. And then when I was starting, my principal, Mr. Frank Radcliffe said to me, he's like, oh, we're going to have you teach health and career. I'm like, uh, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I go, what is that class? <laughs> and uh, but he looked over and we'll make it work. So it ended up being a full time position, which was awesome for my first year. And uh, so we uh, finished off that year. Of course, the first thing you do when you get a job is you buy a house in 2007. Great time to buy a house. It was like the peak of the market. <laughs> Uh, which had houses like the prices drop like I think in half or whatever after that. So we bought a house in 2007. Year finished up and I didn't have a job. There were oh. there were no other jobs, and so I uh, I actually looked on the island. I was a successful applicant for a full time continuing contract teaching Spanish at Qualcomm Secondary. So I went for this, and we were at that point we had a second child on the way. Soraya was was due in November, or Ashley was due with Soraya, and so I was like, well, I'll live in a motorhome and then I'll commute. Oh, I'd my. live there in the during the week. Week, and then I would come home on weekends. So I pick up this motorhome from my aunt that I'm going to borrow and I'm going to stay in Parksville at the motorhome player park next to the mini golf. I got there in the morning. I had my interview and it went really well, but I got back to the motorhome and I sat and I was like, oh my gosh, I have a pregnant wife at home. I've got a one-year-old son. What am I doing? <laughs> and so I was like, I can't do it. So I, I got on the ferry. I think the first ferry the next day I was on the ferry. They called me the next morning. They're like, hey, we'd like to let you know that you were a successful applicant. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I really appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to stay. And 
TOC. And so they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how many people applied for the Spanish job. So they, maybe they were just like, oh, you were the only applicant. <laughs> and was, and we were like, oh, that's really unfortunate. Just too bad. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. It was full-time Spanish. I, I really love, I love the language. Yeah. But it didn't feel right. So I got home and I started subbing. And then Ashley one day took out a newspaper and they posted a data technician position. And she's like, you should apply for this. And it was like data technician, BCESIS. And I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I, I had a certificate in educational technology, which was something all teachers got at BYU-Idaho. It was kind of a standardized class. Okay. She's like, you should apply for this position. I'm like, I, I don't know what that does. Like, I used BCSIS as a teacher, the student information system. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> anyway, so I applied. I remember the IT manager at the time just kind of stopped by Oceanview while I was subbing. And he's like, did you purposely apply for this position? <laughs> and I was like, man, I, I got a mortgage and a family. I, I love education. I need a job. So I got it, right? And, and so then my job just shifted over the years. I had lots of really great opportunities. And I always had this long-term goal. And, and I remember talking to people like uh, some people that I really admire, like Jamie Burt, talked to Jay about it, just that I, I knew I wanted to be back in education. And so I ended up with a master. I got a master's in educational technology. And I, and I kind of took opportunities in doing professional development with teachers, you know, around technology. But then I worked with Allison Bird, another one of my heroes, on um, the assessment and reporting and, and had lots of opportunities while in technology. But I mean, I ran the transportation department for about three years. That was it was super different. Uh, and I'd said to Dr. Uwaz, I said, you know, I, I've got my master's and I want to go into administration. Can I get some opportunities? And so we didn't have someone to run the transportation department. So he asked me to do that. And that was an amazing learning experience. Our drivers for School District 447 and our mechanics, they are dedicated men who are often overlooked. I have trouble driving with five kids in the back of my car mm. and they've got like 50 of them. I have deep respect for what they do. Yeah, and so that was good experience, but I, I was not able to do as much with the kind of the technology integration and working with teachers as I wanted. So I, I kind of stepped back from that and uh, was the IT director for a while. But education has always been at my heart. Like, that's what I've always enjoyed teaching. Even for when I was like a little kid, a little kid when I was in a teenager, I would teach at our church because nobody wanted to teach. It was the honest question was nobody wanted to teach. It was like our Sunday school class. And yeah. I think we drove off our third or fourth teacher as, as kids. And so I said to my dad, who was in charge of these getting teachers for church, he's, I said, I'll teach it. He's like, well, maybe this Sunday you can teach. That lasted for like eight months. <laughs> like Nobody wanted to teach it. So <laughs> I've always enjoyed teaching. I've always enjoyed kind of relaying and sharing and kind of... Uh, delivering the message, whatever it might be, but the kind of contextualizing it and connecting with people. It's always been a pretty core part of me. A year and a half ago when the posting came out for Brooks and it just kind of things fell into place, kind of a lifetime experience of teaching and learning and working with educators, lots of time doing uh, administrative kind of, of pieces, which is a is a fairly major part of what principals and vice principals do is, is working with people and, and in particular adults yeah. uh, working with staff. And the educators we have here are amazing. Yeah. So I, I didn't have to do a lot of that leading and directing because we have some amazing teachers and I, and I was there to support. So yeah, the opportunity at Brooks came up and I loved it. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> well, you certainly yeah. got to meet my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I walk, walking in today, he was like, hey, Mateus. It's kind of his nickname for me, which was, it was better than the first nickname he, he had for me, but that's okay. I oh, switched no. over. <laughs> it was, it was good. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a good year. I, connections are, have always been, and, and I say like, always, they have always been important for me. Yeah. Making connections with people. And this was a good year for that. 
I feel like coming out of the pandemic, we all are short connections. Yeah. Because we haven't had those opportunities to connect as much as we have in the past. And and our kids, there's no different. They need connections to each other. They need connections with adults. And so this year, uh, it was a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Just kind of listening during our last staff meeting at Brooks. Miss Larkin made that comment about me, is that, you know, there's always somebody in Mr. Hall's office. Even if he's not there, there's somebody in Mr. Hall's <laughs> office. And that was not untrue. Yeah, it is kind of making those connections and, and making sure that kids know that they matter. But same with adults. We all need that, right? So yeah. we need someone to listen. We need someone to care. That so. was my struggle for sure. Being on school board at the time during the pandemic was mm -hmm. being so concerned about kids and, mm -hmm. and always thinking, okay, kids are resilient. <laughs> they are. But mm -hmm. the formative years and all the experiences they're having at that time and, and seeing what happened with my own kids and how mm -hmm. tough that was. You've met my son, so you, <laughs> you know how social sometimes inappropriately social that he is yeah but uh it, it wasn't good for them so i knew it wasn't going to be good yeah for many so that that idea of resilience for children it, it is something we often fall back on and we're just like oh kids are resilient and and they are i i had an amazing experience and when i say amazing it was amazing in the fact that i i kind of took me back a bit as i who really struggles. Like some of the stories, it's just like, oh man, these kids. And, and so when I was speaking with them, I said, I said, you are incredibly resilient. Do you realize just how resilient? And they looked at me and they said, Mr. Hall, I, I shouldn't have to be resilient. Yeah. They said, I, I should be at home eating uh, my Wheaties or whatever. Well, like that, that simple childhood piece. They're like, I, I shouldn't have to be worried about where I'm going to sleep. I shouldn't have to worry about how I'm going to afford my food, how I'm going to get my clothes. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, here I was thinking, yeah, that's so amazing that you've learned resilience. And this child was so aware yeah. that it's not, I mean, resilience is good. But yeah, that it was it was an amazing experience for me to kind of step back, that awareness that they had of themselves, that uh, sure, they were very resilient. And they had some pretty crazy stuff happen in their life. But but I should have just been able to be a kid. Yeah, why not? Yeah, right? and, and that's it's like, fair. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, COVID has taught them resilience. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and it uh, sucked. And it sucked. <laughs> yeah. Is there another way? There's so many other ways. Like, there's a lot of lessons I have to learn in my life. And I can learn them the easy way and I can learn them the hard way. COVID has been a hard way to learn the lessons. It's yeah. been hard on lots of people and on both sides. It's, again, it's, it's important to teach kids to care for one another, right? Teaching empathy and recognizing that we're making these choices for others as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's lots there. There's so much to unpack. That's like its own episode, unpacking. Looking at resilience with kids and, and even in the hard lessons, soft lef lessons, thinking of my own kids, right? So my kids have had a go at uh, learning those steps of uh, resilience. As I mentioned earlier, I have five of my own kids. And in 2000 and I want to say 2018. Yeah, yeah, it's 2018. Ashley and I uh, kind of got to a point in our relationship where we realized things, things just weren't right. We'd been married. We got married in 2003 and we'd raised five amazing kids together and our youngest at the time were about five years old. The surprise twins. The surprise twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it planned planned kids, but it was definitely twins are... I, people often ask that. They'd be like, so were you planning on twins? Can you plan on twins? Is that like a thing? Isn't that I, what you ordered? I, yeah, didn't I didn't order? check that box. I don't remember when we looked it up, but it was... And actually, the funny story with that is Ashley was really excited to have boys. Me, I, I, I always had kind of a meh opinion. You know, we had a son and then we had a daughter. And, uh, and actually, Ashley had had this kind of beautiful dream about uh, while well, she was pregnant with Soraya, where she was with this girl with this dark hair. And um, I think she even said Soraya, because it's a bit of a different name. It's it like is, Mariah yeah. with an S. Yeah. 
so yeah, so she had this dream of this of this beautiful little girl, and so she knew she was having a girl. That was we knew that. And then after Soraya came Claire, and then we were like, oh, we'll go for a four. She's like, a boy will round it off nicely. So then we're we're in with the ultrasound text, and we're gonna find out the gender of the baby because at this point, by child number four, it's like not let us know. So now we're looking at gender. So they come in, he's like, and she's just like, oh, two. That's so exciting. She's like, two boys, and he's just like, ah, that one's a girl. She's like, oh, girl and a boy, and then he's just like. Two girls. She cried. She cried for like a week. She was so sad. We tell them some. We, we joke about it. But she was. She was really disappointed. She was excited about two boys. And then, eh, about a boy and a girl. And then she just had... And at the time, Soraya was tough. She was... I want to say she was probably about three or four. Going through a, a tough stage. Right. Soraya is full of energy. Dramatic energy. <laughs> Love it. A lot of me in there. Yeah. So then we had the twins. And, and they, they're amazing. They, they're... I have been blessed. Nurture and nature often come into play. That idea is, is it nurture? Is it nature? I believe strongly that my kids are very, they're good kids because of their nature. Sure, I've, I've had some effect on them, but, but they're good kids. So in 2018, <laughs> Ashley and I decided that it wasn't where we wanted to be. Right. And she brought up this idea of conscious uncoupling. Can't believe I actually remember that concept. I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow made it a big deal about, around that time. So this idea of divorce, right? And, and it's one thing for couples to get a divorce and it's kind of two people leave each other. They can be angry. They can be naughty angry or whatever happens. But when you involve kids, yeah. it's more than just yourself. We spent 11 years raising children together, working to make them good people. And here we were making a decision that they weren't a part of. Right. And so she brought up this idea of conscious uncoupling. And the heart of it was to recognize the beauty of the 15 years that we'd spent and to not just throw that all down the drain. And it was interesting when, when we first separated, I felt like people wanted me to be angry. I, I was angry. I was upset about things. Yeah. But I found that people, and I don't know if it was projections on their side, but it was like people wanted me to be angry. And I didn't feel angry, but I felt like I needed to be angry. Mm. <laughs> and those were the times that they never went well. It wasn't it wasn't natural to me and it wasn't natural to what we wanted. Right. And so so Ashley and I both put a lot of effort into recognizing and what I would say to people, I said, and I even said to Ashley, I said, you know I if I told you, which I did for 15 years, I told her that I loved her. And I did. I loved her those 15 years. Yeah. For me to flip the switch and be like, oh, I hate you. Right. And, and so A, damaging to the kids, but really, I mean, just kind of it wouldn't be honoring the 15 years we spent. So again, this conscious uncoupling is the recognition that those 15 years were spent were good years. Right. Right. Not, nothing's perfect. Nothing ever is. Yeah. And so we then spent the next six months, that uncoupling piece, right? Recognizing mourning together. I went by one time and we helped kind of unpack the, some of the stuff that we had with memories and we cried together. And because we, we did, she is a, an amazing person. She's the mother of my children. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was tough for our kids. However, we always recognized that in the end, the parenting wasn't ending. It was our relationship was ending as a married couple. But we had made the choice, you know, 13 years previously, 11 years previous, that we would be more than two. We would be seven. And so that was that was a conscious choice that we made. So we had to be conscious about the uncoupling piece. And so from the beginning, we split 50-50. And as in the kids, I mean, the, the whole financial stuff and all of that, actually, we did the same thing. We went to the same lawyer and we just kind of divided assets, just kind of 50-50. We went through that part quite quickly. Within a month or so, it was all kind of signed, papered and done. Big piece of maturity that mm -hmm. a lot of people don't exhibit during times like that because it is a stressful thing to go with. And you're right. Some people will do that. Like that's, you're either 
buried in anger or buried in mm -hmm. sadness or and with any loss of a relationship in any way, you have to mourn it. Uh, absolutely. Uh, at the time, we'd actually, and it's funny, I remember that. I'm trying to remember the book that, that we read, one of those New York Times bestsellers. Oh, it'll come to me later. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, we, we read this book. And, and in it, he talks about the Buddhist idea of, of non-attachment, right? Of, of just not being attached to things. We all hurt, right? In a divorce, people are hurt. Yeah. Um, I was hurt. She was hurt. The kids were hurt. Yeah. So when we dwell on that, pain, when we dwell on what has made us uncomfortable, we get stuck. Yeah. And that makes me sad for lots of families that I see and kids that I've talked to while I've been at Brooks and families that use their own pain to justify pain on other people, whether it be pain on their ex-partner or the kids feel that. I'm not proud of everything I did. I made some poor choices and things that I said or comments that I made that weren't fair during the divorce. And I recognized that, yes, I did it out of, I was hurt. Never an excuse to hurt someone else. And so I, I own that. Mm -hmm. Again, a, a lot of that was we'd spent 15 years together, 11 years raising kids. And I believe, and I believe she does too, that a lot of it is owing it to the children to be loved by two parents. Yeah. And I couldn't, uh, it was the other thing that I, I realized is that I couldn't love my children fully and hate a part of them, which is their mother. And, and as I talk to my kids, if I were to disparage their mother, it's part of them, mm -hmm. right? And so how do they not, how do children not internalize that, that part of them as well? If I'm, you know, a terrible thing, oh, your, your parent is this. Yeah. Part of me too. Yeah. And so I, I had to recognize that, that those sorts of uh, emotions or, or remarks uh, are quite damaging. I was fortunate for myself because I had, in the, in the year before we separated, more than, less than that, like six to eight months, I had attended a men's retreat called the, for the Mankind Project, New Warriors Training, NWT, that did a lot of work on personal self and mm. kind of recognizing the importance of having a mission statement and, a, and values for who I am as, as a man. And, and that's hard, like in today's culture. And, and there is this idea that men have kind of lost their value. They haven't, right? But because we had built our ideals on a very specific standard now that we're realizing that nah, that's not fully true right we're having to re not reclaim but recreate what is it you know what does it mean to be a man and what is my value and what is my point so I, I did some work in February before we separated that was huge for me I'd also been to some counseling I saw a lovely counselor here in town oh, <laughs> you may know him and that was huge for me as well right that I'd had some personal things that I hadn't worked out that was really really good for me Ashley was fortunate she spent some time in India kind of near the end of it and that was my that was life-changing for her in the literal and and, and emotional part as well like that was really good for her and I'm still really glad that she got to do that and helped her find who she was beyond the mother and the wife right all of us have a piece of us that's beyond you know you know who am I Matthew Raymond Clinton Hall who am I I'm I'm a, I'm a principal at Henderson next year I'm a father I'm a husband I'm a, a son, a, a son. Yeah. I'm a brother I, I'm all of these things yeah. and outside of that who am I right when I take all those things away who am I? You know, beyond any of those things, those, are, those attachments to other people, to things, that's not who I am. 
before I was a principal, I was something else. And before that, I was something else. So the person who I am is separated from all of those. So identifying who that person was, well, the process of identifying, I don't know if I've totally figured it out yet. So we went through this uncoupling process and it still goes on, but we being a, a divorced man with five kids obviously brings challenges. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ashley is with an incredible man right now who, who cares about my children. And I said this to my kids the other day, I said, how lucky are you to have two dads that love you and to have two moms that love you? I'm like, a lot of kids don't have one of those. Yeah. And you have four adults who, who really care about you. And that's really special. So it's one of those glass half full kind of opportunities. Balance is essential. You need balance to ride a bike. Peanut butter and jelly must be in perfect balance to create a worthy PB&J. Car tires must be balanced. Washing machines have to have a balanced load. And most important of all, your work and your life must be in balance. No one wants to stay at the office on weekends making sure the books are balanced, but money must be tracked. So let's leave that task to Erin Reed of Banking On It Bookkeeping. She'll take care of your books so you can take care of, well, your sanity. Large and small businesses, startups, government offices, no matter where you are on your business journey, you need someone experienced that you can trust with your books. Want to go golfing this weekend and know your books are getting handled? Leave it to Erin. She always says, life is like bookkeeping. Everything must be balanced. Find Aaron and Banking On It Bookkeeping online at bankingonit.ca. That's bankingonit.ca. This is Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. For my own own life, it's funny you asked the question, right? The second chance of of uh, <laughs> second chance at love, right? Yeah. So that that's my story. So so we separate, and I'm I'm living not too far from Ashley. I'm up in Wildwood now, uh, which is funny because it's like four doors down from where I grew up. So really, my, yeah. My parents sold their house in June. They're now living in Southern Alberta on a farm, loving the living the farm life. <laughs> they love <laughs> crazy. And then I bought about four or five houses down about about a month or two later, and uh, love it. Amazing property. I feel bad. Like, it looked amazing when I bought it, but now I've got like chickens and ducks and <laughs> torn up the ground. It looks dreadful. Lawnmower just broke, so I feel terrible. But anyways, March, the divorce had been finalized. I went online to meet somebody. Our, our church runs a website called uh, LDS Singles. I go on and uh, kind of it's the swiping idea. Okay. And, uh, swipe right. S- swipe right, swipe left, whatever that might be. <laughs> anyways, and so I, uh, this lovely, lovely lady came up and I was pretty attractive woman. Yeah. And I read through, she's a parent of five, mother of five children. And I was like, oh, I have five kids too. That's exciting. She had something about burning cookies in her, in her profile. So I texted her. I think the timeline is like at 1.30 in the morning. I don't know what I was doing out, but I was. It was like, uh, have you burnt any cookies lately? It was like something really short and stupid. Yeah. Which she responded well to. So it was like 1.30, I sent her a wave. Have you burnt any cookies lately? At 6 a.m., which is a reasonable time because you're awake at that time. 1.30 is not reasonable. She messaged me back and waved back. And again, that's like middle of March. And then we started talking and she came up for her first visit, end of April. We were engaged July 10th. I only know that because it came up on Facebook memories. Thank goodness. <laughs> I know. I wouldn't recognize things. She came to me the other day and she's just all like, happy engagement day. <laughs> Thank goodness, Facebook. Anyway, so we were engaged July 10th. She lived in Washington in Silverdale on the peninsula there. Yes, we were engaged in July and we were married in October. She had, like I said, five kids, but hers ended where mine began. So my oldest right now is 15 and her youngest is 15. Hmm. 
and then hers go up to about 24. He's an, her oldest is an officer in the Navy. Hers were older, and her daughter was going into grade 12. Not a time to move a family. No, no. So we're like, you know what? This is about kids. It's not about us. And their dad lives in Washington, D.C. He's in the military. We're good. Right? I've got my thing going on. I wasn't, I knew I wasn't leaving because I couldn't, yeah. wouldn't. I made that very clear in the beginning. Like, I, I'm not leaving Power River. My kids are here. So we got married in October. Family was there. It was beautiful. 2019. So yeah, we're in 2019 now. And so October, I got married. And then March of 2020 hit. That was amazing. So we'd actually gone the end of February. We'd gone to Las Vegas for her sister's birthday bash, which is funny. It's like a non-drinker and non-gambler. That's the place to go. Let's go to Las Vegas. <laughs> <We> got good <laughs> shows. <laughs> it's, where, it's where to be. It's where the fun is. <laughs> Anyways, and so we came back the beginning of March. And then all of a sudden, these notices started coming out and, and oh. then the borders closed. And I was like, yay, my wife lives in Washington. <laughs> so I think we went about three or four months without three months, I guess, without being able to see each other because of closed borders. But then, you know, Canada made this adjustment. So she'd have to come up and quarantine. And I had a suite for her to quarantine in. Luckily, she was on online teaching for that next year. So she would come up and she'd stay oh. for a couple of weeks. But I wasn't able to go down there because the trick was, is I'd go down there on holidays, but I'd have to, which was fine, but I'd come, have to, I'd come back and have to quarantine. Right. So if I took two or three days there, it's two weeks and two or three days, because when I came back, I had to quarantine. And so we made that work. And it was fun. Like, was it tough? Absolutely. It was super tough. She just moved up a couple weeks ago. Which is super exciting. June 24th, we went down. June 25th, we moved her up. Uh, that was another disaster. Oh, no. um, but it was amazing. Like, it worked out really well. It's one of those count your many blessings. But um, yeah, getting that all set up was fun. So she just, so uh, up until that point, we had the amazing opportunity to focus on the intellectual, emotional side of our relationship rather than the physical, right? There's, there's like the intellectual, the spiritual, the uh, emotional and the physical part of our relationship, those right. four parts. And we had an amazing opportunity to focus on everything but the physical yeah. for a long part. And Debbie is highly intelligent, emotionally, intellectually, like she's an amazing woman. And so she's like, hey, how about this book? So we had about three or four different books that we studied and we read through and we've slowed down. I slowed down. She, she's always gung-ho, which was an amazing opportunity. So yeah, we, we met and got married pretty quick, you know, six, seven months. But we spent the next two and a half years married apart. Now that she lives here, she's immigrated, she's a permanent resident. Okay. Now it's like, all right, so what is it like to live together? <laughs> Merging households. You know, she moved up with, she was going to sell a bunch of her stuff. And I was like, your stuff is way nicer than mine. <laughs> so let's bring it all up, which I feel bad because we filled like a 26 foot truck. Wow. That uh, thing was huge. And so, and people were like, oh, that's a lot of stuff. And she was feeling kind of guilty. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, but your stuff is nice. My stuff can go. Uh, it's not nice. And so merging households, people households is one thing. Merging household households is another thing. Yeah. That was not big. But she uh, she's just super organized. I've got like totes everywhere. and Everything's labeled. Like I, I know where things are. Nice. Because I know where to put them back. It's fantastic. But yeah, she's a teacher as well. She has a degree in special ed. And uh, so she's been doing that for 15 years. Looking, She's actually doing a graduate program right now in school psychology, which is super oh. exciting. Yeah. Uh, she's super fascinated with that. So we'll see. She doesn't have a job yet, but, but she's on the TLC list and we'll see how the year goes. It was funny talking about good old Facebook and Facebook mm -hmm. memories and all mm -hmm. that stuff because I knew you'd introduced her to me at mm -hmm. Mamma Mia yep. recently and I felt like I knew her <laughs> from your Facebook because yeah. you and I are Facebook friends. So yeah. it's just a funny thing when you meet somebody like yeah. that. I feel like I've known her for like <laughs> three years or something yeah. and we've never met. So it's kind of... She gets that a lot. People are like, it's Debbie, right? <laughs> 
Yes. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> she's the kind of person that is just smiles and absolutely, I'm probably giving away her secrets now, but <laughs> she's like, she'll be like, I don't know what that was. But I said, it's okay. That's how I feel most days anyways. I do that and too. It's absolutely. It's, oh, it's so good to see you. Oh my gosh. How long has it been? Who and is that? Who is that? I, yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know how many kids would actually listen to the podcast, but my catchphrase at school was, what's up, buttercup? It's mostly because I don't remember most of their names. I remember some of them, but there's a lot of kids, 850 kids learning all their names was tough. <laughs> but uh, Not everybody can be of, Jamie Burt, No, right? exactly. Not everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, like my dream. <laughs> yeah. And so I, uh, and especially with masks, the first half of the year with masks and then having to relearn them. Ugh, oh, yeah. It was definitely easier once masks came off. I really liked what you said about the person around reflections on who you were Mm -hmm. because I find we get far too caught up in what we do Mm -hmm. and what our roles are as opposed to who we are Mm -hmm. and that's what you were separating like yeah I'm I'm a mother I've got a business but that's not who I am it's Mm -hmm. just things I do Mm -hmm. or pieces so And like if that. we mix those up, so if we if we if we identify ourselves by our job or by our children, by any of those things, when those things change, which they will, yeah. right? Jobs change, power rivers in a transition, mm-hmm. and that's tough. When when how we identify ourselves when that changes, then who are we? Yeah. And that's huge for parents, even right? As I if if I identify myself as a father, and then my children leave, I'm still a father, but. <laughs> That role's changed. They don't need me as that. Yeah. They don't necessarily need me in the same way that they needed me before. Right. So how do I let go of that? How do I how do I let go of my attachments and move on to something else? Right. That came up in a conversation today at earlier with some some people uh, about that not and exactly that. It, the gentleman was just talking. We were talking about being peacemakers. So he was speaking of a time in his life when he'd lost his job. He's like, it was the first time I'd ever been laid off. And he's like, six months later, somebody said to him, I know what your problem is. You still haven't accepted that you've lost your job. <laughs> he was still attached. He was still upset six months later because in a way he identified as that. That's who he was. It was part of his job. It's part of his his person. And so he couldn't move on in that inner peace piece. (laughs) He couldn't move beyond where he was. And all of us go through transitions. And if we, if I, (laughs) I always find that it's important to always speak in that first person, right? If if I don't learn how to transition away from being X, then I'll never get to Y. I get stuck in between because I'm not X. So how do I become anything else if I can't accept that I'm not that? That's right. I've I've had that challenge with stepping away from the board of education yeah i was a long that was a large part of you right that was for a long time and it was very consuming how many years not that many i think it was 12 12 i just knew it was was 2008 when i was first elected yeah so yeah it was it did it became definitely a big part of who who i felt i was yeah it wasn't (laughs) in thinking about our reflections but that's how it felt right Right. because when that's what you're thinking about all the time and applying yourself to all the time it does it feels like part of who you are so and and that question becomes so now you could identify as a podcaster so does that mean that you even back then in 2008 when you started your journey on the board were you a podcaster at that time as well you just didn't know Right. (laughs) right and so it's this concept of we're not those things or we're all of those things yeah that that if we can accept the fact that we're none of them but we're also all of them at the same time is that is that if I'm willing to accept that I am anything I want to be that at this time right and, and so often parents often come in and, and a lot of the times when we talk about kids it's about their marks or their grades and parents are concerned it's not studying and what I often share is that my mom when I was in high school anytime 
there in school. I would bring home a report card and I got a, we got a pizza party because I brought home a report card. Didn't matter what was on it. Usually it wasn't that good. <laughs> but my mom just celebrated that I brought it home because she recognized, and, and that's what I share now, what I share with parents is that marks are important to show effort, right? However, <laughs> for myself, I did really well in choir and band and lots of choir. I did all the choirs and theater and I and loved production. Yeah. Absolutely. Those things were important and I did well in them. Eh, the other ones, not so well. I didn't do a lot of homework. I didn't focus there. When I got to college university, I excelled 4.0. I got graduated with honors. I did all those things once I was in what I wanted to do. But what I did learn in school and what school does a really good job of doing is teaching the soft skills of being, of, of how to work with people, how to connect with people and how to resolve conflict. So I often say to parents, like, if your child can learn how, what does an apology look like? I do that a lot of working with kids on what is an apology, but it wasn't my fault. Mm, didn't ask if it was your fault. What I asked is, can you see that they're hurt? Can you see that, that they misunderstood what your intentions were? Well, I can see that. Okay, well, let's look at that. Can we say, I'm really sorry that you heard that? Because that would be really hurtful. I would think if, if I had heard someone say that about me, I'd, I'd be hurt too. So I'm really sorry that you felt that way. It's not taking blame. <laughs> it's accepting that. It's that empathy idea. Yeah. It's accepting that you're hurt and you're hurting and that's that's not okay, right? And so working on that empathy piece is, is, is really important. And that's, for me, school is far more about that social, emotional, mm -hmm. uh, working on the self. Because when kids have that piece rounded out, when they feel safe, when they feel cared, when they feel, when they feel like someone cares and they know who they are, mm -hmm. the learning happens. Right? They can connect. But if they can't connect to the people around them, how do they connect to the content being delivered? Yeah. So that's uh, that's a huge one for me, and it has been for a long time in my personal life. And so I'm, and I, so I'm really excited about Henderson. Uh, it's funny when I applied for the job as a principal, and people I get this a lot from people. They're like, "Well, why are you leaving Brooks, or why are you running away from Brooks?" I'm like, "I'm not. I loved Brooks. Like I really more than I expected. It was it was tougher than I don't know if it was tougher than I thought, but it was definitely different. But I loved." I really enjoyed working with the teachers and the students. Like I, I loved it. Yeah. The opportunity came up and it doesn't come up a lot. Yeah. And so I applied and I, I went through the process and, and it was great to reflect on what is a principal, right? Like, so for me, what does a principal do? Yeah. Um, as compared to what I was doing as a vice principal. And I had somebody say to me, like, well, a principal doesn't work as much with kids. Well, in elementary school, I don't have a vice principal. So it is me. I do get to work with kids, which is great. Yeah. But for me, what was kind of the ticket for me was, I believe that what I do is important. And I want to be able to enable teachers to do what I do in a way that works for them. I don't want them to be me. But I want to create an environment in a school where teachers can have those connections with kids. Because it's important that those connections are in the classroom. Yeah. Right? And, and so when teachers in the classroom can connect with students, then students can connect with their learning. And so it's, I feel that a principal has the opportunity to create an environment where kids can connect. And that can be for our indigenous students, that can be by creating environments of acceptance and tolerance for our LGBTQ kids, like all of these kids mm -hmm. that are longing for a connection when they feel that they're accepted for who they are and finding that inner self, then they can connect with their content.
that's why I applied. When I found out I was going to Henderson, because I didn't know where I was going for a while, I knew that I, I was going to be a principal. And I kind of worked through the process of what would it be like in all of the schools. And I just kind of went through, I went, went through Brooks, which I don't know where that was going to happen. But I was just like, well, how, what would that look like? Yeah. What would it be like to be a principal at Brooks? So Kristen Brock came to me and she said, I'm, I'm really excited for you. We've decided to, and we feel like it's going to be a really good fit. And we'd like you to be a principal at Henderson. I'm like, oh, Henderson, that's nice and close to Brooks. It's a small school. It's like, oh, I don't get a VP, which I, the VP part, I was excited about the the team part. Yeah. Uh, the Brooks admin team has been life-changing for me. We're working with Bill and Tanya and Michelle. I haven't had that in my career. I haven't, I've worked with people, but not as a team like that. Right. And it's been amazing. And so that part, I was, I mourned a bit. She's like, I think you'll really gel with the staff. So we had on our planning day, I went over. It was it was amazing, and really? I it makes me smile when I think about it because one of the first questions I was like, who, what, what is Henderson Elementary? Like, how how would you describe it? They said things like, um, we're a little school that cares, right? We we care about kids. We we connect with students, and they and they talked about all of these pieces about connections and and, and care and the individual, the one. And I just and I smiled, and when we went through all of the sticky notes, I laughed and I said, I get it. Get why Kristen was saying this. I said, the one thing that isn't on any of these sticky notes is academic rigor. I said, and you know why? It's because you all know that, that when we do these things, the academics will follow, right? But when our focus is on the student, when kids feel connected, the academics follow. And we can get that. Yeah. Um, but we're talking K to seven. These kids and a lot of the kids at Henderson, a lot of the kids in all of our schools <laughs> really need to know that someone cares. Yeah. And I am so excited that that staff is just dialed in and and they get alive after the meeting i went over to the lunchroom and there was mr gordon and mr mendoza playing ping pong which is apparently like their thing oh really uh, yeah so <laughs> mr gordon's taken another a district position this year doing the traditional skills builder out of brooks okay which is going to be amazing he's going to do an amazing job with those kids so we we'll have a another teacher yeah just connections that staff are are phenomenal i just i'm so so excited because everything that I've kind of, how I've framed myself that I believe that I am as a principal ties in perfectly with these, with this staff. I'm excited. I've met with parents uh, on occasionally from Henderson parents and Miss Marshman and Jasmine did an amazing job at that school. I've, I've admired Jasmine's tenure for years. She was my kid's principal for eight years. That's right. Too. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I just... I, and Kristen herself was yeah. a principal at Henderson. And Kristen well. was at Henderson, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, Jasmine, yeah. And so Kristen has an attachment there and, and Jasmine has uh, been great in kind of this transition piece. She's moving over to Brooks. So I, I feel really supported from the district. I feel supported by colleagues, families that I've connected with. I know some that, uh, I know a bunch of families that go there. That's I'm exciting. Su- I, I'm, I'm so excited. And, and it's not where I, I envisioned my life. Like I had this, I'd love to get back into schools. I'd love to be in administration in schools to kind of work with students and staff. But I didn't envision it like now. I had like two years ago even. Had you said to me, where are you going to be in two years? This wasn't, this wasn't what I thought uh, at all. Like we, and, and even to the fact like Debbie and I, you know, we talked about the kids will graduate in 10 years. And at that point, we'll both head down to Washington and kind of finish up. She has to, to in order to, to, to vest, to get, she's one year away from getting her vested, whatever they call that for retirement. Okay. So she's got nine years of pension that she can't touch until she does her 10th year. So we're like, oh, we'll go back down. I'm like, I can, I can teach or I could be uh, working in IT. I got, I've got options. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, oh, like the, the world just kind of opened up like in 10 years. 
years. I'll have, I've been a principal for 10 years. I'll have been a VP. I'll have been a director of technology. I've done transportation. I, I've done teaching. I taught Spanish this last year as well. I taught the I've Spanish. I've done prawn time. fishing. I've done prawn <laughs> fishing. I don't know what the fisheries are like down there, but yeah, it, it's kind of that, that term, uh, the jack of all trades, master of none, Yeah, which is, I was actually reading the history of that epithet recently and how uh, the, the jack of all trades is generally a compliment, right? And that's, yeah. I consider myself that. I've, I've done a lot of everything, a little bit of, of most things, renovated my house and I've done way, and partly it's just I'm not a, I have less fear than I should, but um, the master of none, that's a bit depressing, I guess. <laughs> um, but my, my favorite example of being not afraid, not afraid enough was when we first came here for the summer, I would work for my, I would work for Rona, for my dad. And so I was helping him out in the flooring store and uh, I was doing some inventory and I was like, oh, this way it looks way easier. I'm like, I don't know, because he told me to do inventory this way. And me being a 24 year old, highly intelligent man that I I considered myself, I was like, well, I could do it this way instead. And rather than asking, I did it that way. And so I entered in the counts for these three or four carpet rolls. Like it wasn't very much. Apparently though, however, what that process did was it said, Oh, that's your inventory count and cleared out everything else in the oh. whole flooring store. So I got a call the next day from uh, Chris at the store. He says, Matt, why is there no inventory? Oh, oops. <laughs> and so my dad being the patient man, he was, I explained what I did and he was like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> no. So I put in a lot of free time at Rona, <laughs> recounting rolls of carpet. And and the, the real tough part was that um, in every business you have, there's shrinkage, right? There yeah. always is. Always. And he knew that there was, that they had to cut some off. But doing it all at once is not really good on the books. <laughs> and so he immediately cut off a fair amount of money. The product wasn't there. Like that happens, especially with flooring and stuff. Like yeah. you end up cutting and whatever. But he wasn't quite ready at that time to cut the inventory. <laughs> you would think those things would teach me. <laughs> they didn't. I'm still just as like brazen to be like, I'll just hit enter. I'll, I don't care. Yeah. Which has worked in my career. Like I've been willing to just take on something new and just run with it. Right? Hey Matt, you want to do a podcast? Yeah, sure. Why not? Right? What could go wrong? <laughs> Who knows? I announced the fact that I cut inventory at Rona. <laughs> it was a long time ago. New owners, doesn't matter now. At least the school district knows now not to have you do inventory. Yeah, 100%. So that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll be, have to be careful with the 1701s. I won't cut out half the kids. I thought Henderson had more kids. No. But it's funny. I've known you a long time mm -hmm. through my time on the board and had no idea that's how you got started basically in IT or tech, right? Mm -hmm. You just seemed like you always... I was a tech guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It, it makes me laugh is because my, like going back to my history, tech is not how I defined myself, right? Like I remember being in D09 when the school opened in the computer lab downstairs and putting my floppy disk into the computer and it ate it and I cried. I hated computers. Like I hated it. It was funny after I started for Carl, the IT manager, uh, I shared that story. He's like, oh, that, those machines did that all the time because he worked there. He was one of the guys that started and like opened up Brooks <laughs> for the tech. And then he's like, yeah, they, they eat floppy disks all the time. But I hated computers. Um, and that's the thing, right? When Ashley's like, you should apply for this job. I hate computers. <laughs> like I taught the infotech class, but I, I do, again, recognizing it's important to be able to be like, I'm good at something. Yeah. I'm good with tech. Debbie often laughs at me. She's like, it amazes me the things you remember and the things 
sometimes you don't. I, when I, in 2007 or 8, when I first started in the tech department, 2008, I remember Ashley and I were driving south and I'm on my phone. She's driving, of course. Anyways, so I was with a teacher and we, it was for the IEP uh, system and I hadn't used it very many times, but I said, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to left click on file. Yeah, left click. So on the mouse, there's two buttons. And so one's on the right, one's on the left. On the one on the left is the left click. Yeah. All right, good. So you're going to left click that one and then we're going to go down and we're going to right click on that. Yeah. So the, again, left and right, the one on the right. <laughs> so, and, and, I, and I am very patient with explaining things. And I hung up and, and Ashley looked and she's like, is that your job? That's my job. Uh, but um, but I, I have, again, lot, I don't remember a lot of things. There's lots of things that I'm just like, oh, I don't remember that. But for some reason, like processes on a computer, I remember. I can do something once in an application and I can remember it. I don't know why I was gifted with that. Right. So that's worked out well. And so people often see me as a tech guy. That's not me. I, I don't do a lot of coding. I learned coding on the educational side. So teaching coding to kids is a process. Like at, at home, I don't pull my computer out unless I'm doing work. I don't game. My son would like me to game with him. Like I bought him an Xbox and he'd be like, come play Fortnite. No, I can't. I, it makes me dizzy. I, I'm really terrible. If I, even there were a few nights where I was like, I'm going to learn this so I can play with Ethan. You know, I give up. Amazing. I like called him once. I like had him on the phone. And I was like, all right, so what do I do? He's like, you just, no, nope. So I, I, I use technology for work and I, I flip through Facebook. Right. That's like the extent. Netflix. I do a lot of Netflix. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, it's uh, technology is my job. It's not me. But I do enjoy it. And I love the integration piece. I, I love seeing how it is, how it can supplement and, and, uh, and engage learners. Uh, it is, it's a powerful tool. Yeah. And it's a pretty dangerous one. It's pretty dangerous because uh, how, how people in general can get kind of sucked in, kids, adults. Yeah. Um, it definitely has increased lots of parts of our lives. It's been amazing, but not all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it's no. pretty crazy. The one thing I like about going to our cabin right mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. is I don't get a cell service mm -hmm. or a cell signal there at mm -hmm. all. There's a tower going up probably within the no. next year. <laughs> so then I'm going to have to just make the conscious decision to just yeah. shut off my phone. It's way easier when it does it for you. But I laugh because family members will come out there and be <laughs> with their the phone all and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't send this picture. And I'm like, well, that's because right now you're supposed to just enjoy that view. So <laughs> take the picture. And then yeah. when you go back to the crappy grind yeah, 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 and you're yeah. back in Wi-Fi, yeah. then you post the picture, which is what I do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm living in the moment because yeah. I have to. <laughs> yeah, you have to and you can. And, and that's always something that I've struggled with and something that uh, that was hard in my uh, in my previous relationship is I often, I worked hard and uh, and I made that as an excuse to always have my phone, right? And and we'd be on vacations and, and I'd have to work when I didn't. Yeah. Right? And so I'm, I'm trying to learn that. Like this summer, I'm going to take time. I'm working on that. I'm saying I'm going to. I'm working on yeah. making sure that I detach so that I am more present and attached to the things that matter. And and I'm yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm 100% guilty of that. Yeah. Like if we're sitting at the dinner table, I'm looking at my phone. Yeah. But that's why I like it there right now is yeah, yeah, I just yeah. don't have the option. Yeah, yeah. And um, when you step back, it's like, this is great. Yeah, because I'm a slave to this mm -hmm, thing. And mm -hmm. part of it's because it's so expensive. Yeah. So if I don't have it and I can't find it, I literally start panicking. Yeah. But also because it's so ridiculous. As I remember when I was a kid, if you had a question, look it up in the dictionary <laughs> or get the encyclopedia, right? And now anytime you have a question, Google it. Yeah. yeah. And when you can't. <laughs> 
It's like you can't wait for the answer exactly, now. Exactly, right? Well, and that, that brings up an interesting piece of uh, we've lost losing the wonder, right? Before yeah. we used to wonder about things. I don't wonder anymore. I'm just like, oh, I wonder about this. Google? Yeah, just Google it, right? And so uh, I remember that being a conversation before when my kids were younger. It's like, oh, let's look it up. It's like, or let's postulate. Let's wonder. Let's hypothesize. Let's think about it before we look it up. Because that that process, even if you don't get the right answer, that process of wondering, wondering is amazing. Yeah. Right? Not You don't have to know exactly how everything is done. I wonder how that's done. Let's think about how it could be done, having a conversation. I don't do that. No, I'm just like... <laughs> I gotta look it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Random things. Things like watching, uh, my wife and I watched The Lost City last night with Sandra Bullock and Shannon Tating. So funny. Like, super oh, funny. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's really good. But the, the comment that, where this came up, I said to Debbie, I was like, how old is Sandra Bullock? Both of us. Oh, 57 years old. Good Lord, you're kidding me. <laughs> but it was just like, like, we couldn't just be like, oh, I wonder. No, it was like, oh, the internet will tell me because I know. that's exactly how that should be because I really needed to know how old Sandra Bullock was. I didn't need to know. I know. But yeah, it's just this knee-jerk reaction to the information is is at our fingertips. And sometimes the wrong Well, and I was just thinking that, right? Is the, the assumption is that that it's correct. Yeah. And then we when we base when we base our reality on the information that we have, it's really important that that information is correct. And it isn't always. I'm pretty sure Sandra Bullock is 57. <laughs> but there are other things where bias, bias in the news, bias, I mean, we see that everywhere. Yeah. And the politics, but but even in in our classrooms, in our like, it's important whether it's the bias is good or bad. Bias is bias, yeah. And and it's recognizing that that it is a bias, and and that when I share things, and it's interesting, right? Like that when we speak of culture, right? That the fact that my bias is informed by my culture is not a bad thing. But if I don't recognize that it is a thing, that's what's bad. Right. When I assume that I'm that what I think is right just because I think that it's right, that's not okay. Yeah. Right. And and that's uh, we see that with what's happening now, right? Well, even when we look at the name change mm-hmm. process for for our town. Somebody asked me that recently. What do you think about the name change, right? It's a good thing I'm not running for politics. Granted, I work at schools. I probably need to think more. But uh, my my res- my immediate response was, name's a name. <laughs> it won't go what it is. Yeah. However, I-, I have to always back that up with the fact that I believe the process, or not the process, but but a name is in, the process of selecting the new name is hugely valuable, right? It's that because the, the process isn't about what did it used to be called, the process of what should it be called, mm-hmm. right? So we we refer to town this this town as Powell River, and it has meaning for people. Mm-hmm. And I hear when people on on the side of keeping it that it has meaning to them, and I get that. Much like this land has an incredible meaning to our indigenous population, yeah. and it has been it's had that meaning for a lot longer than we've had our meaning. Yeah. So when we step back, and if we want to co-create something, to be like, okay, well, what meaning does it have for us? Because Powell River has meaning for colonizers for settlers who came in and i'm here in 94 which as much as i'd like to say you know 30 years and what great time is that that's only 30 years not the thousands of years that people have lived here so if we're going to co-create a better space with the people that we live with then what better way to do that than in a name mm-hmm. um, so again name's a name whatever name is picked the name i change names all the time however the process that can be taken and the, the conscious steps that we can take. So when people just come out and just be like, oh, we shouldn't do it because of X, you're missing the point, which is who are we today? We're not 
Israel Powell, where their name came from that, and all of the history that goes with that. That's not who we are. So who are we? Yeah. <laughs> we're not a mill town anymore, yeah. right? We're not. We're barely a fishing town. Right? <laughs> all of these industries that we defined ourselves with over the ages, we're not. Right? Yeah. And even that's only 100 years. Yeah. So, so who are we? What are we? And that process of, of naming can be incredibly powerful if, if we allow it to be. Yeah. Uh, and that's the trick. That's the trick of being like, what will we allow to happen? And it's funny with names too. You said that when you came in, because mm. we've mentioned it a few times. You've dealt with my son a few times yeah. in school. And he's got a name for you. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Better than the last. Yeah. <laughs> I think I told you one time. I was like, this is what he calls me. Yeah. Anyways, funny. But it, it is kind of funny how we get so bent out of shape about changing a name because mm. I've got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. Right? I've yeah. got some people I'm sure call me that I wouldn't like if I heard them. <laughs> I don't think they tell me. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm not super attached to. And, and I've had titles with Powell River in yeah. a number of times. And yeah. it's just, yeah. I, I think, like you said, I think the, the process mm-hmm. of doing, I, I kind of think that's exciting to be able mm-hmm. to work together and come up with something new that, that everybody appreciates and understands. And I, I think that process could be super exciting. Yeah. And, and names, uh, when I think of school, like kids who, and they don't even just have to be kids who are, say, trans kids who are, who identify differently and, and therefore choose a new name, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it has that process of identifying who they are and, and, and finding a name that matches that person. For me, right? Like, so I'm born Matthew Raymond Clinton Hall, lots of names. And so I often go by Matt, but lately I've been going more by Matthew, which is kind of a change. I, I don't know. People always ask, right? It's kind of, you know, Matt or Matthew. And I was like, oh, just don't call me late for dinner, right? Like, it's always a joke. My parents used to always say, you can call yeah. me anything you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. I use that one too. Uh, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and so uh, I have a, a dear friend, someone who means the world to me, Jen Grants. She's just uh, an amazing yeah, she's woman. Awesome. Oh, God. And she said to me a while ago, she's like, you're a Matthew. Be a Matthew. But again, a name, name is a name. It's that connection that I make. You know, my kids call me dad. How, how we refer to ourselves changes as we age and as we grow and applicable for who we are. So again, the name change for our town, for our community, that process, that reflective piece is the important piece. And I don't think, I mean, if we're going to go through the process, we're not going to settle back down on Powell River, I wouldn't imagine. But then again, so maybe we do, maybe we recreate and, and it is that, right? It's it's the steps that we take to get there. No different than what we do with our students in school, right? And kids yeah. like, well, that's the answer. Well, how did you get there? Well, why does it matter? The answer is 12. No, but show me how you got there. And, and as frustrating as that is, because well, I just know the answer is 12. But what do you know more about that? How do you know that it's 12? And as much as kids find that frustrating, they get so mad about that. But what they're missing is the lesson of the journey, the process, is ingrained in everything we do, whether it's how we name our town or how you got to your math answer or how we came up with X, Y, Z, which is, you know, right in this next year, Brooks is switching for grade 10 English is going to be English first peoples for all of the students. And that certainly didn't come without controversy, but we as a district and as a school decided that's what we're doing. Kids need it for graduation. They need to get their indigenous kind of credits. But there were, there are some people who feel like, well, but Shakespeare is important. And absolutely, it's not going to, we're not banning books. We're not saying kids can't read Shakespeare, but what are we teaching? We're teaching literary studies. We're teaching uh, that reflective piece. Why does it matter what book we're reading? Why mm-hmm. does it matter so much if the process is what is important? If we're not just teaching content, but we're teaching standards and processes, then 
allow like selecting books of people of color or indigenous learning books or whatever it is doesn't matter what the story is. It could be about the raven. It can be traditional stories that we take that same literary process and we apply it to anything, right? So, but we're so attached to the things that we're comfortable with. And and again, we have no, our English department is, at first they were like, whoa, because it's that feeling of being done unto, right? Like, yeah. whoa, how were we not involved in this? And that was their first reaction. But I was so impressed by all of them. It was the next reaction was, okay, so how do we lead forward with this, right? right? That we want to do this. So who are we bringing in? What kind of supports are we going to get? You know, what are the stories, right? Because all of a sudden it's like, well, I know the Western stories. What are the stories? Yeah. Uh, which ones are approved? What's well, How do we do this right? And, and sometimes the need to do it right gets in the way of doing it at all. Sometimes we don't do something because we're afraid of doing it wrong. But sometimes doing the right thing, not the best way. Sometimes better than not doing it at all. Although sometimes it's also worse, depending on how you do that. <laughs> that's a, that's a toss-up. Lots of great changes. And at the base of it, it's that, what is the process that we take? In myself, I've been a lot of things. Yeah. But at my core, you know, understanding that behind all of those things, behind my mistakes, behind my successes, Matt, Matthew, <laughs> there was one that I, a term that I had at college while I weighed a whopping 124. It was Matty Fatty. I stayed with his family. That's what they called me. I was like five foot 10, 125 pounds. It was just, I was ridiculous. But that was my nickname, Matty Fatty. Oh uh, so all of these names that we've carried with ourselves, but in the end, I believe I've always been a person who's cared about people. I've always cared about, almost to a fault, right? Like I, it matters to me how people feel like relationships are key. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I have a falling out, I want to fix it. Not everybody wants to do that. Yeah. And I have to, I have to learn to give like space for people. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and, and not everything. And that maybe that's my man brain, right? Is well, I need to fix this. That's probably part of it. But I do see that as the word virtue, probably loosely. But as a virtue is that relationships matter. That's why, again, we can't all be Jimmy Burt. But that's something that I have admired deeply in that man's career is that relationships are important. Yeah. And he's managed to, whatever school he's been at, at many, he builds relationships with people. And I admire that. And I want that to be, yeah, when we talk of legacy, right? What is my legacy? Yeah. I watch a lot of Hamilton, but anyways. And so, <laughs> yeah, my legacy, I, I hope that's one. Maybe yes, that we, my wife asks amazing questions. She often, when we were distant, she'd ask me questions at night. So she asked that once, you know, how do you want to be remembered by your kids? Mm. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and, and part of it was because I was just like, oh, I was, I was not on my glass half full mm. moment. It was not certainly one of those. I was feeling a bit down, feeling like I could do better as a parent. She's like, well, how, how are your kids going to remember you? How do I want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a father that I worked hard. Like I want them to see that I have, and I learned that from my father. I remember my father is a hard worker. I want to be remembered as someone who cared, right? Who cared about them and who saw them. And and that's no different than at school. I want kids, I want people to see me as that person. And I know I'm not batting a hundred out of a hundred, but uh, but it is something that I do focus on and and I and I say that often, right, to kids that uh, often the phrase I'll use is like, the person that matters right now is you. I don't care about those other people, like whether it's a some sort of interaction, a fight or whatever. Or even kids that you know, for drug suspensions, I processed several of those this year. It was often about right, right now it's this isn't about what you did. This is about you as a person. Mm -hmm. And how do we step back from 
the fact that you chose to bring drugs to school like that was obviously a terrible choice. But how are we going to make this right for you? Because what I care about right now is you. I don't care about the people next door. I don't care about anything. And, and focusing on the person. In reflecting on my year, I, I did lots of suspensions for lots of different things. Get along with all those kids. And, and I feel that I was able to help them see the difference between their actions and my judgment of their actions versus my judgment of them. Right. Um, that's and, really important. Uh, yeah. It is. Yeah. I feel like that's really what's missing in society mm. right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a whole lot of judgment of people's choices mm -hmm. or opinions. And instead of appreciating the person mm -hmm. as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, it's kind of why things are in the ugly state that they're in right now. Yeah. Worldwide, really. Oh, absolutely. Like the world's kind of freaky to yeah. me right now. And I, uh, that's what I think. I think it's, it was something I said, I think in a peak interview about the podcast is I wanted to bring the human back to mm -hmm. humankind mm -hmm. because it, it it's missing. Yeah. Yeah. Often it's court of public opinion, right? Is that people before used to be able to make a mistake and be like, oh, glad nobody saw that. Yeah. Now everybody <laughs> um, sees it. And now everybody sees it. And then they don't forget. Yeah. Um, and they and, replay it. And they replay it over and over again, right? And, and, and this, this tendency towards cancel culture or, or any of these things where rather than stepping back and being like, you know what, I, I've made mistakes too. And, and I think a lot of that is uh, one of my kids, I have to say, like dad always says, I, that's one of the same things I always say, like I always say, um, but like projections, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that, that society projects on others because uh, people are unwilling to see their own mistakes. And so instead they project the the vitriol they have for themselves onto other people but because they can't accept themselves because we have to have this veneer of this facade of of fitness or whatever we see on social media and so because we can't accept the part of ourselves we don't like we just throw it at other people we end up with online trolls and yeah and that cancel culture because yeah. we can't cancel it in ourselves we're going to cancel it in other people yeah that was a big step for me i remember when we first came out with the diversity fair mm -hmm. uh, i was involved with our church at the time and the diversity power River had an amazing diversity fair and i remember listening to an indigenous woman talk about uh, just racism and my own self-reflection it was when i first came to accept the fact that there is a part of me that is racist mm -hmm. i accepted it right and and that was really important that doesn't mean that i'm a racist <laughs> yeah but what it does mean is that I have beliefs that I have been taught, and I'm not going to say that my parents directly didn't directly teach me, but society ingrained in me yeah. beliefs and feelings that are inherently racist. That's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and and it's it's that willingness for me to say out loud on a podcast to people I don't know <laughs> that there are parts of me that I don't like about myself. Yeah. And those are some of them that I haven't figured them all out yet because as they come up the important part is like oh that's an ugly part <laughs> yeah i need to cut that one out <laughs> but if i ignore them um and it doesn't matter whether it's racist or if it's sexist or misogynist whatever those things are right i'm not an abuser i'm not that thing well if you're saying that then you need to take a step back why are you so defensive mm -hmm. <laughs> and and that there are parts of me that that i don't like so I project them on other people. The other one I always say is, you know, you're, the person's perception is their reality. That one definitely, I've, occasionally I'll say that to my kids. So what are things you're going to remember? And that's one they always say, 
my dad says that your their their perception is their reality. That's a Dr. And Phil it, thing. It, is it really? Yeah, it sure is. Dr. He says Phil. it all Dang the time. It. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so recognizing that it doesn't matter what I think I did. What matters is what and it's not necessarily what it matters, but what they think I did, what they perceived my actions to be is how they're reacting. So if I can't step back and see that and acknowledge in that earlier I talked about an apology, right? That's the apology piece. Yeah. Is recognizing that their reaction is based on their perception. So let's separate what you think you did to what they think you did. And then we can talk about what happened, which is in the middle. Right. Um, the truth is kind of always in between. And that and, and, and often it's important to recognize that that's not, it's not anybody's fault, right? And it's their life circumstances. It's the noise in the hallway. It's the whatever that created their perception. And it's your own uh, experience in life and upbringing that created your perception of what yeah. you think happened or what you felt you did. And what really happened is almost less important because we need to deal with the perception first. And if they continue to believe that those things happened, then that's a problem. So getting kids together, I remember having two kids in front of me and just being like, all right, I'm, I'm tired of the stuff that's going wrong. Do you want to fight you? No. Do you want to fight you? No. All right. So we can both agree you guys don't actually want to fight. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what I'm hearing is that you have friends, mutual friends that think it's funny to say that you guys are going to fight. Because that's what it was. There was this rumor going around that these two kids were going to have a fight. So I just pulled them both into my office. I'm like, we need to cut this short. Yeah. All right. So you guys don't want to fight. Now go tell your friends we don't want to fight. This is done. We're not playing this game. <laughs> like the drama has gone long, gone on far enough. Kids were crying and there was social, like social so media posts. Drama. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love drama, but not that kind. <laughs> I like the class kind. What Didcot does. That's amazing drama right there. <laughs> I'll throw another Dr. Philism at you that oh, goes right with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't matter how flat you make a pancake, it's always got two sides. That's good. So that's the same the same thing. I totally watch Dr. Phil. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But yeah, he I, that that's much. definitely one he talks about yeah. is exactly what you were saying, is yeah. about perceptions. Yeah. So when he gets people there and they're saying, Well, I didn't, and he's like, Yes, but that's how she felt it was like in the moment. Mm -hmm. Especially when he's talking about parents and children. Mm -hmm. He does that a lot because, you know, a parent's sometimes are not able to see from their children's eyes how they saw yeah. it. And so. a lot of that is, but I'm the parent, right? And, and, and sometimes that's that position of authority, yeah. that, that power right. over. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's, well, and, and in the end, it's, I'm the one in power, so it matters. What It doesn't matter what the other person thinks, which is a really unhealthy way to approach anything. Absolutely. Right? Anytime we think that our perception is the right perception, it doesn't matter if we're in power or not, it's wrong. Yeah. Because all perceptions matter. Yeah. And, and there are times when... <laughs> that phrase is like, Kling. I'm super random, but it's like this. Anyways, this idea of like Black Lives Matter, where people get so upset and they tend to go towards this idea of, well, all lives matter. No one said they didn't. Like by saying Black Lives Matter doesn't say that all lives don't matter. And that is that piece, that uh, projection piece where where we can't accept something of ourselves. And so and the analogy was often used, right? Like when your neighbor's house is on fire, you're not going to say, well, all houses matter, right? We should have houses <laughs> on all of our houses. No, that house is on fire. Like that house is literally on fire. That house matters right now. Your house matters too, but it's not burning. Yeah. And so when people say that black lives matter, it's because black lives are on fire right now. Yeah. And we need to step back from ourselves and be like, you know what? I see you. I hear you. What can I do? And that's not going to make us a worse. It's not going to make us less than. It amazes me how many times we've touched on pieces that are like, probably shouldn't talk about that. I should talk about that. <laughs> 
we talked at the beginning, right? I think before we even went on, it's yeah. this idea of like politics and going in and people are not always willing to kind of talk because mm -hmm. you don't want to say the wrong thing. Most conversations, and maybe that's why people don't come to my house for dinner. <laughs> this is like, what things not to talk about? Politics, religion, all of, I'll have those in all of my conversations. Because <laughs> it's like, why not? Like, that's it's the spice of life. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can talk about the weather that much. <laughs> or fairies. I mean, you live oh. here in the Catholic, then you're definitely going to talk about fairies. Right. That's always the joke. It's just like, you know, you live in this area when you know the names of the vessels. That was right. the big joke last time I came up with Debbie. It was like naming the vessels. It's like, that's just weird. Well, the, the funny thing is, when we got our hockey billet last year, Mm -hmm. This was his first time to the West Coast. Right. He's from Ontario. Right. And I said to him, so are you ready for the fairies? Hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, uh, that's going to be, it'll be awesome. It's going to be fun. I said, nope. <laughs> I said, we'll talk again at the end of the season. Yeah. And you tell me what you think of having to travel on the ferries. Yeah. Yeah. Opinion very much changed it, by, yeah. oh yeah. Like, After long delays or, or having to leave early for a game <laughs> because they have to go a day early because the ferries don't line up yeah. or they're stuck on the island. They can't get back because there's a windstorm yes. or yeah. we missed his game because the power was out. Like it's just, <laughs> we just, accept it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just a thing here. I, I remember the first time we came over in the spring of 94 uh, that would have been like February, so great weather for ferries. But we, it was back when the Swasson was on the run. That boat, I swear that the waves were way bigger. Either that or the boat just didn't handle them as well. Now it's like canceling the boat. It's like, come on, in my day. <laughs> Anyways, so I, I remember that the, the, it would lilt so much to one side, you'd see water and air. And then it would go the other side, water and air. And they handed out barf bags. And my mom looked at my dad and she's like, where are you taking us? <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, they grew up on the coast, but I mean, the joke then was like, my dad's like, oh, I rode on the Swasso when I was a kid. Like that, that was a beautiful boat. Uh, but it went in all weather. But man, it was just like, it was brutal. And, uh, but here we are. The Texada Ferry, mm -hmm. the old one. Mm -hmm. Bobby Fields, Winterpeg. Yeah. From Manitoba. She played on my dart team. Yeah. And we went over, of course, darts is in the winter, right? So yeah. we went over to play darts. And when we came back, the wind had picked up. Yeah. And it was probably one of the sketchiest ferry rides I've been on <laughs> back. Yeah. But I had so much fun with her because literally the water was sloshing oh, up deck. the stairwells. It was coming up the stairwells towards <laughs> yeah. the passenger deck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could hear it. It would lilt a certain way and then whoosh, 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 whoosh through and then back down. And so I couldn't help myself because you could see Bobby. She's holding on to her chair and she's yeah. looking around like, and I was like, hey, you guys, you paid attention to where the life jackets are, right? <laughs> because we're probably going to have to grab them this trip. Like, you know, I've had to do this before where we had to jump off the boat yeah, and it didn't really look like the lifeboats were all that, you know, operational today. So I think we uh -huh. might just have to put them on and jump. Yeah. And Make she's sure like, clear the are you kidding me right now? What? Like, just, I had so much, I'm so bad. Yeah. I'm so mean. Yeah. But it was funny. <laughs> yeah. No, every, every conversation, if you are living the, in, in the area, in the Catholic region, every conversation has to lean towards fairies at some point, right? Yeah. Either it's the fact that we're the only community that has to pay in and out. You know, there's that conversation. Mm -hmm. There's the conversation. We're also the only community that's serviced by fairies, but the fairy doesn't dock in the community that it services you know all of these things that are like 
really important to us. Yeah. And we just can't let go of. But they're part uh, of who we are. They're part of who we are. They are part of yeah. I am <laughs> if I define who I am, I am a man concerned about fairies. Uh, mostly the price, especially when you like travel on Washington ferries. Oh. I mean they're ugly. But they're cheap. I've like, never been, but oh, yeah, I've heard it's they're crazy. so much cheaper. Yeah, and they, anyways, oh, man, that almost became a fairy interview. That was right, crazy. that's terrible. I don't even know what I'm talking. So, about. what do you do for fun? I don't have fun. <laughs> um, no, I, that's a good question. What do I do for fun? So, for fun, I think people are supposed to have things they do for fun. I enjoy music, but I don't do as much as I'd like. Karaoke. Mm -hmm. At school, that was really fun. At Brooks, we were doing karaoke for a while. You were breaking down some dance. It was Who's fun. Yeah, dance I too? loved dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Saw yeah. some video with that. Way too old for that. Speaking of not being able to do stuff yeah. and not be seen. Stuff. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, Mr. Hall breakdancing at a high school dance. I enjoy working in the yard, to be honest. Like, I really enjoy... My, my yard looks like a disaster right now, but I, I came home from work on Friday and I was feeling like my yard looked like a disaster. So I spent about two and a half hours just weeding and pulling up plants that shouldn't be growing and blackberries where there shouldn't be. I don't even know how they get there. Blackberries are like this weird alien organism. Uh -huh. Like they, they end up in places yeah. where they shouldn't be. I don't know how they do that. Birds. Probably bird poop. Birds, yeah. Yeah, they just poop everywhere. I like building stuff. When I bought the house, it didn't have a basement, anything. Like it had a basement, but it was unfinished. And so I renovated it. I put a suite in it. And now Debbie and I live in the suite, just kind of just close the door. No, it's uh, that's that's probably what I do for fun. But I I often think I should come up with a hobby. Well, you kind of have to, hobbies, don't you? I mean, your your livestock and your yeah. Yeah, we you know? go with that. And that was a COVID thing. I, I And that's one thing I sometimes do regret. I'm just like, Ugh. COVID happened and I was like, I think I want chickens. Mm -hmm. And then I got, I had chickens and then I got quail and then I got the ducks and then I had goats. That was super random. I had two goats. One was pregnant. So then I had three goats. Oh my. My idea was I'll milk the, the female and then I'll butcher the kids and I'll just breed them because it was a breeding pair. I don't have time for that. No. So we had the kid and I delivered a baby goat, which was fun. That That's was cool. amazing. Massive goat. Like the baby was as the size of its mom because oh. it was a, as a Nigerian dwarf. Um, beautiful and, and good goats, but I, I didn't have him very long. He was stinky because he was a buck. Uh, anyway, so I traded them out. I got pigs and, uh, because so those don't pigs. smell. Yeah, exactly. Right. I can't stand the smell <laughs> of a goat, but those ones were definitely butcher. I knew I'd only have them for so long, but I misunderstood the six month. I thought they meant six months from when I got them, not you butcher at when they're six months. Oh. So I had them for six months, but they were already three or four months when I got them. They were huge. Mm -hmm. They were like over 300, they were close to 400 pounds. I, each side of the pig was like 150 pounds. I had this video my daughter took of me carrying this hat, like side of pig up my stare. Oh, that was a disaster. That's another story. Got the pigs, rabbits. I really got into rabbits. I really enjoy raising rabbits. I brought some to school. That was an amazing day, actually. I brought a couple bunnies until people find out that why I raise rabbits. <laughs> you don't have 50 rabbits as pets. They're <laughs> livestock. Uh, and, and, and I very Yes, I would. <laughs> Don't tell me what I can't do. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I very early on I said to the kids the the kind of the, the saying is we name the mums and dads, we don't name the babies. Or the fact that we name the mums and dads and we eat the babies is actually what usually how that comes out, which is not very attractive. Kids were really upset about that for a while. When that came out, like, what are you gonna do with these bunnies? Oh, I'm gonna eat them. What? <laughs> Did you hear what Mr. Holt does with his bunnies? And then, of course, there were little bunnies. They, I just, I, they were probably seven or eight weeks old, so they had just been coming out of mom. I was separating them out, which is why I brought them. They were cute little fluffy bunnies. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, no, I, I'm going to eat these. Why would you do that? Oh, you sick, sick man. They taste so good. 
<laughs> but uh, and there is something again is that you know self-sufficiency piece i don't know what is what i like about it but um don't you know it, your food comes from the grocery store mr yeah, hall it's not living beings in the meat, in the meat section okay yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah 3d printed beef um no <laughs> well, I, that'll be a thing i'm sure no uh, yeah someday well, hopefully we get to that point <laughs> sustainability <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I did that and, and put up a new garage. And so I just like doing stuff. And I used to really enjoy camping. It's not that I don't enjoy camping. And Debbie and I have often talked about wanting to do some more of it. I mean, how do I live here and not go camping? That's something that the kids in there um, do. They, they go camping often and hiking. And we live in such a beautiful place. And every time, like we were talking about cell phones, right? Every year for the last five years, I've taken Ethan and three or four of his friends up to Horseshoe Lake. Hmm. And there's no cell service, which is nice. And that's my kind of one year. We go around his birthday. So we go around the end of March, beginning of April. And someone falls in or someone goes, it's so cold. So oh. cold. <laughs> so that's kind of my, I always go camping at that time. But we go for one night. We've gone two nights before. But that's been a lot of fun. Seeing the boys have kind of stayed. He's in the French immersion program. So he's had these same friends since like kindergarten, mm. which is nice to see. Your question was, what do I do for fun? That is, well, it doesn't have to be anything no, super it's true. Yeah. amazing. Yeah, I enjoy <laughs> enjoy life yeah yeah work was fun people kind of teased me about that but <laughs> i've always enjoyed my jobs like when i worked before i started at brooks my days were pretty fixed kind of a nine to three nine to four kind of idea but and nine to three nine to four but i always work in the morning like i was answering emails at 6 30 in the morning and 10 o'clock at night so i worked all day but when i started at brooks all of a sudden i was at work by 7 15 7 30 and i would leave by 5 30 mm -hmm. <laughs> like they were always really long and that was usually a, a shorter day days that i had kids i would leave at 5 30 when the kids were at my house i always left excited happy so i was working way longer days and feeling rejuvenated at the end by the end i was definitely feeling june <laughs> mid-may june i was like i'm feeling it i i know what june brain is now <laughs> But uh, Ooh, summer, yeah, summer's <laughs> coming, <laughs> which is why I'm going to take some vacation time. Been, it's been so good working in the schools again, more than I knew I'd enjoy it, but I didn't, I don't think I knew I, I would enjoy it this much. That's awesome. I've, I've just loved it. It's been so good. But life has a funny way of taking us in places that we never, right? I, I don't teach music. I did. I taught um, the boys choir here for a while while Walter Martell asked me to, I did that for a couple of years up until COVID. I loved that. And that kind of filled that bucket for a while of just my love of music. I love singing. I love performing. I just think it's fun. It would be and, cool to yeah. see you tie that in to your principalship mm -hmm. at Henderson because mm -hmm. there's places that. you could go with that, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 We've had talks about that with staff and at the district office of helping Henderson kind of build a shtick. Yeah. Right? Like Kelly Creek is the outdoor elementary school and Westview is a beautiful school and it's a big school with lots of opportunities. James Thompson is the French immersion program. So it's like, so what is Henderson? Right? What are yeah. we? And uh, right now, like they do a speech arts program which is awesome so mm. i'd love to build in uh, kate boyd and aaron hodgins have done some really great work with their kids there they're really starting to develop a sports program but i i love performing arts mm -hmm. and so i'd love to bring in more what I, I also really want to tie in the high school and they've done it in the past and so i want to again covid kind of cut off a lot of those things and i want to bring a lot of that back you know work with brooks and be like oh you've got kids who have done a prod a passion project let's see if we can align it to our curriculum and have them come and give a presentation to kids at henderson Right. I wanted to, I want to feed people. Foods 
hugely important. I love, I love food. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like people connect over food more than anything. And so I want to do, uh, I've talked to the pack about it, but trying to do monthly meals, right? Kind of, uh, United Church used to be doing like the $5 spaghetti dinners kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, just bring families in. And, and, and part of that is bringing parents into a school is really important because not all parents have had good experiences in schools. That's right. Right. And, and so part of building the school community is about building parents parents and reconnecting and so that parents can be engaged and not everyone has healthy memories yeah. right and, and, and certainly for our indigenous families yeah definitely <laughs> unhealthy memories so how do we build new memories and food is a great way to start I like um, it. I love food. It's an amazing thing. It I me actually mad. wish I didn't. <laughs> I know. I love it way more than I should. Uh, but I, and I said that to staff, right? It's just like, I love food. <laughs> and say it as a bit of a joke, but I, I don't, right? Like, I, I'd love to see themed dinners. And so lots of plans. And I recognize it's my first year and there'll be a lot of kind of uphill growth. So I don't want to commit too much. But um but that's definitely kind of some of these small things. I want to do a leadership program. And so I've been writing out uh, kind of some leadership opportunities, not just for the senior kids, but for all of the kids to engage. Because I think leadership gives kids uh, an ownership of what they do. Yeah. Yeah. We've got some great stuff going on at Brooks for the leadership side. So I really want to bring that down to the elementary school as well. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. You've been very open and that's, I really appreciate that. And I think listeners will too, can definitely identify with a lot of what you've said. So I hope so. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Matthew, for joining me in the studio and being so open in discussing your journey. I'd also like to apologize to listeners for the extra background noise in this episode. Summer interviews are challenging as it gets quite hot here in the studio and I need to have the window open. We were subjected to a plane flyover, my ducks chattering, and wild birds cheeping in the background. Welcome to Small Town Life, and thanks for understanding. Until next time, this is Aaron Reed. Thanks for listening to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about the podcast, visit www.coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. If you'd like to submit a topic or join the conversation as a guest, email Aaron at coastalcurrentswitharen at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.